Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. We have a brand new guest today. We are joined for this episode um, by Alana Vandersloos, who is a TEDx speaker, entrepreneur, author, and certified intuitive eating counselor. As a personal survivor of eating disorders, she is dedicated to empowering women to heal their relationship with food and their bodies to step into their potential, take up space and improve their lives through intuitive eating and mindset coaching. Her debut book, Freedom with Food and Fitness, How Intuitive Eating is the Key to Becoming Your Happiest, Happiest Self, releases on November 7th, 2023. She's a contributing writer for several national publications, including the National Eating Disorder Information Center and Best Holistic Life magazine. We're so excited for you to listen to this episode. Enjoy. Hello, Alana. Welcome to the Uppy Dietitians podcast. We're so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here, Hannah. Emily, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I can't, can't wait to dive in. I feel like this will be such a good episode. Anyone who's seen the title already knows the spoiler, but we're going to be talking about kind of the connection and relationship between perfectionism and disordered eating development, something Alana is very passionate about. And we're very excited to talk about because we don't really, we haven't really talked about perfectionism ever on the podcast. So this will be a very good episode for people to listen to and something that people might not realize there could be a connection between. So before we get into the nitty gritty of it though, Alana, tell us about yourself. Uh, this can be like what you do for work, your past education background, hobbies, where you live, anything that you feel is relevant. <laughs> to okay, I'll give you a good smattering of, of, of all of that. So my name is Alana Vandersloos, and I'm the founder of Freedom of Food and Fitness, which is uh, a community where I offer group and one-on-one coaching for intuitive eating and body image. And we'll dive, I'm sure, way deeper into this than I'm going to do right now, but I came to this work the way a lot of us do. Uh, I had a seven-year battle with undiagnosed eating disorders, so they went completely under the radar the entire time with everybody that I knew, my doctors, my loved ones. Um, I had orthorexia, which means I had an obsession with clean eating, quote-unquote clean eating. Uh, I had binge eating disorder where I would restrict or, you know, eat clean Monday through Friday and then have my cheats on the weekend, which just riddled me with shame and guilt. And, and then I also had body dysmorphic disorder where, you know, no matter how many crunches I did, no matter how little I ate, no matter how little I weighed, my stomach still didn't look the way that I wanted it to. And it was like a point of contention for me. So um, that's how I came to this work. This is actually my side business. I'm a full-time English and journalism teacher. <laughs> um, I have a toddler who is three at the time of this recording, or he will be in two weeks. Uh, I live in New Jersey. I love to read, to write. I have a book coming out at the end of the year, which is like a goal I've had since I was 10. And uh, I guess another fun fact is I love Stranger Things. I'm like obsessed with that show. <laughs> Emily, aren't you into Stranger Things? I have a very big about it, Stranger but... Things fan. Huge. Yes. It's such a good show. Yes. Is it? Is it kind of scary? That's what's kind of holding me back because I don't like scary stuff. It is. Oh, I think it's kind of scary. Mm. Yeah. It's very 80s. I don't I don't know how mm. old you guys are, but like I grew up in the 80s, so it's very cool. That could yeah. help because I feel like, not to trash talk the 80s, but I feel like the newer scary movies are kind of more scary. I don't know if that is true but that's how I feel um so I don't know if I could handle it but 
anyway, let's get into what people are actually here for today. So again, we're talking all about perfectionism and disordered eating slash eating disorders. Um, but let's start with like, what even is perfectionism for those who maybe like, aren't quite sure if they fit the bill, kind of like run us through what that actually means. Like what is perfectionism? So it, it can mean a couple of different things. I think you're right in that people sometimes don't identify as a perfectionist because they don't feel like they do anything perfectly, but that's really not what it is. What it really is, is we can call it black or black and white thinking, or we can call it all or nothing thinking. And that's typically how people describe it when it comes to things like disordered eating and chronic dieting. I think Brene Brown had it the best. Um, for those of you who live under a rock, she's a, she's a, a researcher on vulnerability, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote her. She calls perfectionism a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought: if I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, blame, and judgment. And there are a couple of different types. Of perfectionism. And I go over this in my book in detail because, again, this is something that was the catalyst for my eating disorders. Do you guys want me to go into the different types now or do you want me to wait on it? Please go for it. We'd love to hear it. Okay, cool. So um, there are three different types. So there's socially prescribed perfectionism, which is a, like a crippling fear of criticism. Basically, the belief if someone isn't their best they, they'll be rejected by those around them, including their loved ones. So this can lead to procrastination because they fear they're going to do something wrong. So it's like, you know, writing the book and not sending it to publishers ever because it's not perfect enough, or like even writing an Instagram post, but not posting it because it just doesn't look perfect enough. Then other oriented perfectionists put impossibly high standards on other people instead of themselves. So instead of being themselves up and criticizing themselves they're perfectionists when it comes to other people's actions and behaviors and then there's self-oriented perfectionists who place really high standards on themselves um but they actually achieve their goals so they're not the type to like never put it out there in the universe because it's never good enough they hold themselves to the same really good high standards and they do achieve things they might even be called high achievers but it's never good enough for them no matter what they do no matter what they accomplish it's never ever good enough and i fall into the latter category or at least i did and i'm, I'm slowly pulling myself out of it but i'm a self-oriented perfectionist where i have really high standards for myself um, and i achieve a lot of wonderful things but it's like never good enough oh emily and i both have this tendency on our podcast to like we call it like our therapy sessions, which we should be seeing real therapists, I think instead, but I'm like right now doing that exactly that where I'm like kind of self-reflecting. I'm like, I think I definitely agree with the last one for myself as well. It's like, you can like work and work and work and work and work, but it's still just like never good enough. You can like even get all this praise and it's still just like never good enough to yourself. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Good to reflect on. Yes. Hence our many we already hit the mini therapy session which yeah. is good <laughs> we have found it that. today yes we love that so i i think like these are all really good examples cuz i think perfectionism at least what i like first think of it you think of like one specific like idea of what a perfectionist looks like but i i never thought of the other oriented perfectionists where they have high standards of others instead of themselves yeah that's very interesting 
Yeah. I think I, I think I grew up with one. I think my mom is that. And I think that's partially, you know, where it came from. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blame her for it all. I think, I think anyone that has a disordered relationship with food in their bodies, it's a, it's a culmination of a lot of different factors. It's never just one, but you know, there was a, there was a definite pressure to perform and be perfect. And it came from a well-meaning place of, I think a lot of parents do this. They don't want their child to fail. So they'll try to preemptively pick out all the things that other people might pick out if they don't pick it out first, but it creates a perfect storm of perfectionism. It's mm-hmm. just then, then I growing up decided that I was going to try to be perfect to avoid her criticism. Mm-hmm. The cycle goes on and it's so hard because now I'm a parent too. And I see it, like I feel that pull to want to make him, make my son as perfect as possible so that nobody makes fun of him or does, or he doesn't, you know, get into trouble at all in any sort of way and it's 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 trying to let them make their own mistakes and let them be imperfect and let them be okay with that and and validate themselves instead of always looking for that external validation that us perfectionists love to get Mm -hmm. it's so true though it definitely is a combination of like nature versus nurture when it comes to all this disordered eating talk which I think is another great segue Do you, would you say that like all these different types of perfectionists can struggle with like their own forms of disordered eating or is it like a certain type that tends to display the most signs of disordered eating? I would say definitely the the self-oriented perfectionist is probably going to be hit the most with it. And, And I saw that with me, it was, and I see it with my clients too. It's, it's, it's never good enough. It's you, you meet the goal weight. And then you want the new goal weight because the goal weight that you reached didn't make you happy or fulfilled the way that you thought it would. And I think that's the trap that a lot of people fall into is they think they're going to be happier or more successful at this arbitrary goal weight. And when they get there, they don't feel that sense of accomplishment long-term. Like they're happy for a week and then they're like, okay, well, why don't I feel different about myself? And it's, it takes them a while to figure out that it's, it's, it's an inside job. It's a, it's a mindset. It has nothing to do with your actual body size. That's a very good way to put it. And I think anyone who has potentially struggled with this or do even like reflect on this and realize it, it's interesting to hear it verbalized from someone else. What? are just so like we kind of already like delved a little bit into like what disordered eating is but what are some common examples of disordered eating that someone who maybe not is familiar with disordered eating like might observe or experience I'm glad I'm glad you asked that because I, I feel like a lot of people still have this stereotype as anyone with an eating disorder is this waif thin girl with like stringy hair and like no self-confidence and she's like like you know blow through a crack in the window type of you know it's a very like Kate Moss you know what but it's it's so much more than that there are so many women who are walking around with disordered thoughts and disordered behaviors around food in their bodies. And they think that it's just normal. They think that they're just dieting and dieting is just like one of those struggles that we have to go through as women. Like the women's plight is to always try to be losing weight. And just because something is common, which it's very common to see women on diets, doesn't mean that it's normal, right? Um, We've normalized it as a society, it seems, but it's not normal. So disordered eating are behaviors and thoughts that you might have that 
aren't quite diagnosable yet as an eating disorder, according to the DSM-5, but are still very troubling because one in four people who go on diets and who display disordered eating slide into an actual diagnosable eating disorder. So it, it's it's a slippery slope and it's a sneaky one. You don't even really see it coming most of the time, which is why it's so, you know, scary. So disordered eating um, examples would be ignoring your hunger signals. So deciding to skip breakfast and just have black coffee because you're trying to save calories and lose weight faster. Obsessively counting, weighing uh, your food or measuring your food or measuring your, your body size. So if you're on the scale every single day and that number is dictating your mood for the rest of the day, that's a red flag. If you have my fitness pal, get the fuck rid of it. Okay. That is obsessively counting your calories or your macros, uh, ignoring cravings saying, Oh, I can't have X, Y, Z food because it's quote unquote bad for you, but then, you know, probably binging on it later that night. Uh, binge eating. If you, if you're binge eating, that means you're probably heavily restricting your calories, you know, earlier on in the day. And that's a, that's a signal. Uh, using exercise to make up for food or to earn food that you're going to eat later on. That's another warning sign. So basically anytime you are trying to manipulate your body size or weight, with external tools instead of just listening to your body that's disordered eating yes and speaking of like going under the radar I feel like that's where orthorexia comes in right because it's like technically not a dsm-5 diagnosable eating disorder at least not yet hopefully it will be someday but it often includes like all those things you just talked about and so much more and it's just like healthy eating like it's you're just, just a trying, lifestyle it's just a lifestyle exactly And I think that's why people often don't get diagnosed or they just don't even like think that they have any kind of issue with food because it's just a healthy lifestyle. Well, and they've also created, you know, terminology around the disordered eating behaviors that make them look normal, like a cheat day. A cheat day is just a planned binge. It's just, we're just, we're putting like lipstick on a pig here and calling it normal. It's so true. It's so true. So let's tie it into perfectionism. How does perfectionism like come into all this, would you say? So I see it in two different ways. I, my personal experience was, you know, I had a narrative in my head that thin equaled more attractive, like the thinner you were, the more attractive you were. Um, And so I had to be in my mind, the most attractive. I had to be number one. So that meant I had to keep losing weight, keep losing weight. And I wanted to look like the models that we see in magazines and on social media, you know, never mind the fact that I have my genetics and they have theirs and they have professionals and filters and Photoshop and all the things that I don't have. And they're dehydrated before they take those fitness photos and all the, all the things, all the tricks that we know, I still wanted to look like that all the time and I couldn't. So That was my version of perfectionism. But I see with my clients a lot that, and I saw this with myself too, on some degree, uh, this idea that, you know, they, they get on a meal plan or they decide to eat intuitively and then they miss a workout one day or they eat past fullness one day, even though they were trying to kind of assess themselves on the hunger fullness scale and listen to their body cues. And if they like quote unquote mess up once, 
they like stop everything. They decide they're just going to eat foods that don't feel good in their body. They're not going to move their body anymore. And they kind of just let every, all the health promoting behaviors go just because they quote unquote slipped up once. That's such a good example. I think that's exactly where that like disconnect is between like doing intuitive eating and perfectionism. Like that's where people, I think get really tripped up. That was such a good way to put it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing it's, it's, it's intuitive eating, but you can't do it perfectly. Yeah. You're not a robot where it's just like certain amount of food in all the time, exactly the same. It's sometimes I'm sure you guys experience this too as dietitians. Sometimes you eat past fullness. Sometimes you don't eat enough. Sometimes you feel sick. Sometimes you skip a work. Like it does, it doesn't matter. It's got, you gotta learn to live in the gray, do it shitty. As I like to say. Yep. We'll have days where we don't eat a vegetable. Like that's okay. It sounds oh. like a wild concept from a dietitian, mm-hmm. but it's more than fine to have those days. Absolutely. Well, speaking of, you mentioned like doing it shitty. I bet you have all kinds of other tips and tricks for our listeners who are like, yes, this is me. I'm a perfectionist. I probably have orthorexia or some other disorder eating behaviors. Like, what do I do now about it? <laughs> like, how do I fix this? Yeah. And, 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 and even to back that up just a second, if you have that question where you're like, mm, am I a disorder eater or, you know, is what I'm doing quote unquote wrong? If it feels wrong, if you have a pit in your stomach listening to this episode, you might want to look into it you know, because intuition, intuition knows, but, you know, there are a few things that I I tell my clients to do to get out of that perfectionism. And, you know, perfectionism, it can serve you very well if you're one of those high achievers, but it has a shadow side. And this is an example of the shadow side. So I tell them do it shitty. And I can't even take credit for that. That's Kristen Finch is where I heard that. Um, If you, if you look up her podcast, um, do it shitty. You, it might not be perfect, but at least you're doing it. So just do it shitty. And it it, it, it adds a bit of levity to have that be your mantra. Uh, also try the mantra, you know, let's just do B minus work. It doesn't have to be an A plus, you know, it's not an F. It's just, it's just a B minus, like do a good enough job. Another thing that I walk my clients through is called tombstone thinking, which I feel like people fall into two camps. You either think talking about death is super morbid and depressing and you want to avoid it, or it could be really, really life affirming and put a lot of perspective on your life. So when I talk about tombstone thinking as a strategy, I tell my clients to journal out three different questions. The first one is, what do you want to think about your life when you're on your deathbed? Like you're 80, 90, 100, whatever, and you're on your deathbed and you're thinking about all the things you did with your life. Do you really want to look back and go, Jesus, I was so obsessed with my weight my entire life. And did it actually end up mattering in the end? So that was a really powerful question for me too. Uh, Number two is what do you want written on your tombstone? Like if you had an epitaph, you know, she had the best abs. Like, I don't want that on my tombstone. Like, I don't want that to be what people remember me for. I want to be remembered for something a lot more profound than you know, being whatever goal weight that I set out to be. And the third is, what do you want people to talk, to say about you at your funeral or at your celebration of life party? I feel like no one does funerals after COVID. I feel like it's celebration of life parties, but what do you want people to say about you? Do you want, do you want them to say, oh my God, she was so fit. I wish I had her body. Or do you want them to say she was a great friend? She was a great mom, sister, daughter, whatever. She was loyal. She was smart. She was tenacious. I would so much rather people say that about me than something about my aesthetic. 
And what's so important about all that too, is people probably wouldn't say those things like, oh, she had the best abs or she was always so good at like eating this perfect portion meals. They're going to say things about your personality. You are the one who is thinking like, what's everyone thinking about my body right now? Like you are the only one actually thinking about your body that much. No one else is thinking about those things. And on your tombstone, even if that was your life goal to like have that six pack, no one else is going to add that to your tombstone. Like if you didn't get the chance to like prepare it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Well, the other thing is there was, there's a, um, it's like a hundred page ebook, but I, I really liked it's called confessions of a fitness model by Madeline moon. And she talks about being a bikini competitor and how, when she was training, she had no social life. She did not see anybody because she couldn't eat off plan. So if those were your goals, people might not say all that much at your funeral because you weren't there. You weren't living your life. That's such a good point. And I feel like oftentimes like social life and like celebration oftentimes gets like pushed down whenever there's like any type of like stricter rules, especially like in the like bodybuilding competitions that arena, but in general with disorder eating, like the like unknown of like what's going to be on the menu. Are they going to have something I can eat? Will I know what to input in my fitness pal that will accurately depict what I ate? Like stuff like that is very scary and people just like avoid it completely. And if you're not going outside and seeing people, there will probably be minimal people than at your funeral, which is sad to think about. <laughs> it, is. it is. And you actually just said something, Emily, that I want to just touch upon quickly is this idea of control, right? Like mm-hmm. controlling and knowing what you can put in your fitness pal or or what you can eat at the at the restaurant, that ties in with the perfectionism as well, because perfectionism is trying to avoid criticism, and we need to have everything be controlled if we're going to avoid that criticism. So control is a huge part of it as well. So if you feel like somebody who's who always has to be in control of their circumstances, that's another red flag. As an oldest daughter, I'm just like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> this is me. This is me. This is me. <laughs> I know. It was me too. Like it like, was my lived experience. And like yep. now I can laugh about it because now I finally understand where everything came from and why I did the things that I did. But so now I can laugh about it. But yeah, it, man, it hit a nerve when I first realized what I was doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good to look back on, but I feel like this whole thing has been a very good reflection session for everyone mm-hmm. involved, which has been very good. So I feel like we, we had so many great different things talking about kind of like what perfectionism is, the different types, how can type disordered eating, how easily they can fit together without like even experiencing that. And then you, Alon, you gave some really great advice on like, if people are struggling with it, where can they start at least? If you were to kind of leave our listeners with some final thoughts about everything we just talked about, what would you want them to hear? I just, I want everybody to, and it's funny that I say this, this is like my, my signature coaching model. I call it chill the fuck out. It's like a play on um, cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's chill the fuck out, CTFO, circumstance, thought, feeling, and outcome. And I just, I just want people to chill the fuck out. Like I just want people to, when they're worried about not hitting their macros or going out to dinner and not being able to log into my fitness pal and, you know, gaining five pounds or missing a workout, like really 
take a step back and look at your entire life, what you've lived and what you have yet to live and try to put it in perspective of your entire life. It doesn't matter. Like none of it matters. And if you want to get into, and again, some people might find this depressing. I find it life affirming. Like if you think about the world and all of the people in it and the universe and whatever else is that like your five pounds means nothing. Like it's so fucking stupid. Just life is not that serious. It's an experiment. Just have fun. Just relax. Doesn't have to be perfect. Emily and I always talk about just like being on a floating rock. Like it literally doesn't matter. We're just on a floating rock right now. Nothing matters. <laughs> I know. I know. And like, I, I'm sure some people will be like, oh, nothing matters. I'm just going to do nothing. But like nothing, like live the shit out of your life. Yeah. Go for everything that you want in your life. But at the same time, have that knowledge that you're doing it for you and nobody else cares. And it's like, we're all here for a finite amount of time. So don't stress. Exactly. Well, Alana, it's been so wonderful to talk about all this stuff. I know our listeners are just like snapping the entire episode. I know they're going to take so much from this. Thank you so much for all this valuable information. Before we get to our bonus question, let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can learn more. Tell us about your book when that's coming out. Let everyone know where they can learn more from you. Yes. So um, I don't know if we'll have the the pre-order link by the time this comes out, but uh, the book is coming out on November 14th of 2023. It is called in, uh, Freedom with Food and Fitness, How Intuitive Eating is the Key to Your Happiest, Healthiest Self. It's half about intuitive eating, half about intuitive movement, um, lots of very tangible, actionable tips, things that I use in my life that I used in my recovery from ED to a certified intuitive eating counselor, the entire journey that I went on. And I really, really hope that it resonates and people can um, grab some some tips from it that they can utilize that day. And uh, to find me, if you want to work with me as a coach, as an intuitive eating coach, freedomwithfoodandfitness.com is the best place to see uh, packages I offer, pricing, all that stuff, how to, how to book a phone call with me. I'm on Instagram, mostly for social media. So that's at Freedom with Food and Fitness. So come over there, say hi, get some free resources. I want to talk to all the peoples. Amazing. And we will link all of that in the show notes. So if you didn't write it down, you can check it out there. Well, thank you so much for coming on. If you want to hear the bonus question, you're going to have to become a Tud Bud and subscribe to the Beat Deed subscription. But thank you so much for coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure. And we know that our listeners will take so much away from this episode. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. All right, guys. See you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of The Upbeat Dietitians with your hosts, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at The Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.